Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Here we are in the House of Mystery again, and uh, today we've got Martino Man, Dave. Dave, how are you doing? Excellent, Al. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going driving again for a while. I'll tell you, <laughs> nuts on the road. I'll tell you, I just it was a rough morning, but um, that's okay. That's okay. It could be worse. I could be, uh, I could be one of the uh, people that this our guest today writes about. I could be living in a horror book. <laughs> so it could be worse. Uh, well, this this man that he writes, he writes faster than I do, or he's certainly up there. Um, Mr. Mark Allen Gunnels, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. And uh, trust me, you do not want to be one of the characters in the new book. No, <laughs> I don't want to be a character in any of your books. Uh, <laughs> I got enough horror going on in my life. I don't need any more. <laughs> so, so this new book is called uh, Before He Wakes. This comes out um, actually today. It'll be out. Um, so what's the premise of this book? Uh, Before He Wakes is about two young people who are kidnapped by a deranged man who keeps them prisoner in his basement. And he goes out for supplies and gets involved in a horrific accident, which leaves them trapped alone. No one knows where they are. They have limited food and water, and they have to uh, try to figure out a way to escape while they still have time. Wow. Do they have to eat each other? There is no cannibalism in this book. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler. No. It's all about the ingenuity and their brain power to get out of the situation. So, it's, um, oh, go I, ahead. I was just going to say, so you're kind of focusing more on the um, not so much a horror slasher sort of thing, but more it's more of an intense sort of mental. It's more of, I guess, what I would call a suspense thriller. Um, I... I I usually call it, and I don't think this is a real term, I think I made it up, but I call it an obstacle novel in that there is a series of obstacles they have to overcome to try to escape their situation. So um, it's just one thing after another they have to figure a way out of. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we all deal with obstacles in our life, so that's very relatable. How, how do you come up with this sort of premise? How do you come up with this thought? Um, this novel, it was it was kind of odd. Um, and I kind of owe a debt to Stephen King inadvertently. But um, 
it was just very random. One day, I remember where I was. I was in the kitchen about to do dishes. And for some reason, I was thinking about the movie version of Misery. I had not watched it recently. I had not been discussing it. I don't know why it was in my head. But I thought of a particular scene right after he finds out that, you know, no one knows he's there. And she's about to go out and she tells him, you better hope nothing happens to me because if I die, you die. And I got to thinking about that, like what would happen if someone was keeping you prisoner and then something happened to them and you're just trapped there and no one knows you're there. And so it just sort of, that was the springboard that led me into the novel that became the, uh, the idea. Hmm. Well, when if I go back here for a second, so you actually do dishes? I do. I, I know it seems like someone at my level yeah. to not be their own dishes, but you know, <laughs> I, I like to keep myself grounded. I like to just, you know, see what the common folk do. Yeah. That's what I was <laughs> thinking. Cause you're a big time author here. Like how long does it take you to write these? Cause you do, uh, you do them fairly quick or do you have a lot kind of going at the same time? Um, I tend to only write one at a time and it can actually vary. Um, probably depending on what's going on in my life. Um, Before He Wakes was very quick. I think I wrote it in two months. Um, But normally I'm not a planner or an outliner. Um, But this for this novel, I did a little more outlining. It was still sort of tentative, but because it was the series of obstacles they needed to get through, before I started writing it, I wanted to make sure I knew how they were going to overcome each obstacle because I didn't want to get halfway through and realize, well, I don't know how they'll get out of that. So I had kind of a blueprint and it really did go very quickly. So I I wrote it in about two months. Wow. So uh, what's, what's the longest thing for you to do? Is it actually coming up with the idea or, or it sounds like, because once you get it all worked out in your head, you can just sit down and do it. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I come up with just um, a very vague idea. And what what I like to do in a lot of books is start and then let the characters develop. And once I feel like the characters have developed, they sort of take it over for me. And, you know, because then whatever situation I put them in, if the characters are developed enough, I feel like, oh, well, because of this character's personality, this is how they would respond to that. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm usually really quick in the beginnings and then I really pick up speed in the end. It's usually that middle section because that's often the section that's the most vague in my head Mm -hmm. that takes me the longest where I'm figuring out, you know, that bridge between the beginning and the end. I wonder. So when you have characters in the book like this, like when you took uh, the two main characters that are in the trapped in the basement are Patrick and Claire, I believe, right? Yes. Um, so when you create those characters, do, do you give them personalities and traits that conflict with each other? Like, do you think about what kind of people you want to have working together in this situation or does it just come somewhere else? I had um, a little bit of a notion of who they were. They really did develop more in the writing. Um and so a lot of that happens sort of spontaneously and in- instinctually. Um, but with these two, I did like the idea of having the contrasting because they are in this situation and I had one who wanted to act, who wanted to, you know, be proactive and try to find a way out. And the other who had to be convinced who was, who had become a little, um, complacent and thought we should just sit tight um, because we could make things worse. So I did have fun with that sort of conflicting um, approach to their situation because, you know, it just made it more interesting to have two different viewpoints and um, them having to sort of negotiate with each other as they were trying to work together to uh, get out of their situation. Do they? Do we know in this book, do you kind of get into the detail of why they were trapped to begin with, why they were captured by this person? Um, I do. I have um, some of the kidnapper's motivation of what was going on in his mind. 
And I actually, even though the story starts with them already in the basement, um, there are some flashback chapters that um, actually show you how they were abducted. And I also have sections that sort of take you out of the basement and show you um, what's going on in the lives of their loved ones who don't know what happened to them, um, just to sort of open it up a little bit and give um, a little more interesting detail about their lives. Did you do um, a lot of research to, uh, you know, create these traps and these uh, these obstacles for them to get through? Um, I, I wanted it to be realistic, so I did do a little research. I did do um, – I didn't want anything that was crazy out of the realm of possibility. I didn't want, you know, the hand of God coming down to save them. Like, I – I wanted to, everything to feel plausible. I didn't want anything so over the top that people would say, well, they wouldn't be able to do that. So I set up the obstacles so that they would be hard to overcome, but not impossible to overcome, especially when they had the time since, you know, their kidnapper was out of the picture. Um, I felt like them having that time made things a lot more possible. Mm. So, so do you like, I, I, you know, without giving away the ending, of course, do you like typically having a unhappy ending or things working out well, or do you like it to kind of and uh, maybe bad or unknown? I don't really have a preference either way. I just feel like each story has its own ending that feels right for it. And sometimes that may be more of a happy ending. Sometimes that may be more of a um, unhappy ending. I, um, I'm not the kind of person who feels like a horror novel can never have a happy ending. Um, but it also has to feel earned, not just like out of the blue, but like earned. But like to me, every story has its own requirements and the ending is one of those and you know sometimes when I go into a story I think I know how it's going to end and then as the story develops it turns out to be something completely different this one did end the way I kind of thought it would um, but it's just the ending that felt right and appropriate for this particular story for you particularly how do you find your voice in the book you know, a lot of that stuff for me is very um, just going on instinct um, because sort of like I was saying with the ending, every story is going to have its own tone. It's going to have its own. I mean, I, I like to think I always bring my own voice, but then each story has its own voice. So some stories are going to be lighter. Some stories are going to be darker. And I sort of trust, like I said, as I get the ball rolling and the characters develop, and then the story takes off, I sort of trust the story to lead me. I feel like, I know that sounds kind of weird and esoteric, but I really do feel like the story sort of tells me what it needs, what it needs to be. And I don't do myself any favors if I try to resist that and go in a direction that I don't feel like the story wants to go in. So I just start the story sort of like a, you know, a snowball building down a hill and I just let it go and I just follow it and try to be as faithful to what the story is telling me it needs as possible. Where do your characters come from? Like Patrick and Claire, where did they come from? Are you Claire? Are you Patrick? <laughs> um, I'm not really any of my characters, although I will put stuff from my life in my characters, but I will also put stuff from anybody I meet in my characters. And it all sort of becomes this amalgamation of me and people I know. But then it, in a weird way, it becomes divorced from that. And they really become their own personalities um, from this weird mix. Sometimes I even forget. Like, sometimes my husband will be reading one of my books and he'll comment, like, a phrase someone used or um, something that happens to someone. He'll be like, oh, you got that from so-and-so. And I did, but I kind of forget that after a while because it feels like it's just that character's life. But um, none of them are really me, but I draw from 
everything. My, I will cannibalize my life and my friends' lives and my family's lives and strangers' lives if I overhear a conversation I think is interesting. And it all goes into building those characters. So I'm Claire. You could be. You could very <laughs> well be Claire. You have a Claire kind of quality. I won't lie. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I, I have a quality. That's, that's a start. <laughs> start. What, what, and so, who do, you, who do you get as your killer? Who's your, who's your person? Or the, you know, if they're even if they're not a killer, like in this, where they've got them um, captured and trapped in their basement, how do you get into that kind of a mind? Well, the first thing I had to get was a motivation, because everyone, even villains, have a motivation, and they whatever their motivation is, they feel like is right. Um, so I felt like that was the hook to get into that character is what does he want? Why is he doing this? What need is he trying to fill? And that will help me build him from the ground up based around that so that he doesn't feel like a cartoon character, you know, tying a damsel to the railroad tracks and twirling his mustache, but, feels like a real person that is you know like i said deranged unstable but from his perspective he's just doing something he feels he needs to do and that was sort of my approach to um to him hmm. that's it's kind of um do you ever get i don't know i don't want to say scared or make maybe scared or apprehensive freaked out by maybe when you're writing a, an evil character? I can't say that I do. I know this sounds weird, but no matter how dark the story is that I'm writing, I'm always having a lot of fun. Like, I, it sounds weird to say that to people, but like I may have write the most depressing or dark, violent scene, but when I'm writing it, I'm having fun. Not because I think those things are fun in life, but just every aspect of the storytelling process like fills me with joy. So, um, so I can't say that I ever, and I'm also the kind of writer who feels like you shouldn't filter or censor yourself. If the story says, this is what it needs. It's what it needs. And I just, I just trust that. And I, and I do enjoy the whole process. So no matter how twisted the character is, I'm just over here having fun. Oh, so you like you like being twisted. <laughs> you know, in certain situations it, it is called for. <laughs> where, so where where do you plan on going with, with um your horror writing? Are you ever gonna change styles or are you just gonna keep on going in in the thriller horror sort of area? Well, I have written a few things that are just completely out of the um the horror and suspense genre. Haven't figured out what I'm gonna do with them yet. But um, but I, I do venture out now and again, and especially with my short fiction, like almost all of my short story collections have some stories in them that aren't horror or suspense. Um, but that definitely is my main interest. Um, but even within that, I like to explore different things. I have supernatural horror. I have, you know, non-supernatural suspense. Um, the novel I'm writing now is not really like anything I've written before. Um, it's much more, um, it's not really fantasy, but it's a little more fantastical. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things I like so much about the horror genre is that even within the genre, it's kind of wide open and you can do so many different things. So, you know, I, I just like to tell stories. I do gravitate towards the horrific, but, um, but even in then, I, I find it's a, a wide playing field where I can do a lot of different things. When you write, um, do you have, there's been, a, there's been talk about an inner monologue when it comes to writers, or just even people who read, or just, just the average person, that some people hear, I know I do, hear voices in their head. Right? And I'm just wondering, when you write, do you hear the, the, the dialogue, the prose, all of that in your head? Or are you translating more images and symbols into prose? I guess in some ways it's more um, 
and maybe it's because of, you know, I grew up in the age of you know, movies and television. In some ways, I see it playing out in my head in images, and then I'm getting it down. Um, mm. But when I, I do know when I write dialogue, I want it to sound authentic. I want it to sound um, true to life. So I definitely, when I'm writing a dialogue heavy scene, I am hearing that in my head. And I sometimes I'm even speaking it out loud when I'm writing it because what sometimes looks good on the page or on the screen, when you try to say it out loud, maybe, you know, some of it gets tripped up on your tongue because of, you know, word choice. So sometimes I'm even speaking the dialogue out loud to make sure that it sounds true to the ear, but it also sounds natural when you speak it. So with the dialogue, I definitely hear it. Um, but for the most part, I, I do sort of see it playing out sort of like a movie in my head that I'm then getting down on the on the page. When we get to, uh, do, you, do you think it's um, always important? Do you have gay characters in all of your books? Uh, pretty much. Um, I mean, not there sometimes, especially with some of my short fiction, not necessarily, um, because there's some stories where that just, feels to me like it's a straight person or a straight character. I don't know how to describe that any better, but, um, but for the most part, I do. I don't really even think about it just the way that, you know, most straight writers have straight main characters just because, you know, that's who they are. So it feels more natural. Um, I do also like getting that representation out there because when I was young and loving the horror genre, you didn't, find a lot of gay writers or gay characters. So I kind of hunger to see that. So I like the idea that I'm giving that representation to young gay horror fans. Um, but I think all of my, with maybe an, a couple of exceptions, um, most all of my novels have gay main characters. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, in some ways, I think people respond to that because it's sometimes interesting to get a familiar idea sort of filtered through the lens of characters that haven't been represented historically in the genre. Do you, but do you, do you think that, um, does, does that alter sales, do you think, in, in something like horror? You know... It's hard to say because, you know, I'm, I'm a small press writer, so it's not like, you know, most people are, you know, having sales through the roof of the small press. But um, I, I definitely have found the second book I ever published was a zombie novella called Asylum, which took place in a gay club. I used to say it was Night, Night of the Living Dead set in a gay club instead of a farmhouse. And all the characters were gay. And I had a little bit of trouble placing that originally. Um, some of the publishers specifically talked about being worried that that was going to alienate what they called the heterosexual male fan base. Um, but when I found a publisher, um, Apex, who published it and didn't treat it any differently and just marketed it as a zombie novella, um, it actually, you know, for a while was like the best-selling book that I had and the feedback I got a lot from straight male readers was that they appreciated that because it, it actually gave a different twist on it, even though the setup was very traditional, the characters they had never seen in that story before. So I actually think in that way it helped me. And um, I do think people are more and more wanting to see, you know, like, more diverse authors doing horror because when you filter it through that lens, it actually gives you something a little fresh and a little different and a little unexpected. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And it can make, you know, what you have come to think of as something familiar becomes something exciting and unexpected. Well, that's interesting. I just, I just wonder, because I, I think of horror as a, like you said, straight male kind of um, heavy metal, um, some, someone like Dave. <laughs> I do. I still think like New York publishing is resistant to that, but the small press, I think, is really opened up for, you know, gay writers, women writers, people of color. I I just see this explosion of talent from diverse voices in the small press, and I, I feel like, you know, eventually that's going to just filter up the chain. But do you think, so do you... Is it that the writer is gay or is it that the subject in the book is gay or has gay characters? Um, well, I think being gay for me gives me a different perspective on things. It doesn't, I mean, you know, yeah, it's not like we're completely different species, <laughs> you and I, but, you know, being gay does come with, different life experiences that can, I, I don't think my work is preachy, but, and I don't always even think about it consciously, but I'm filtering it through my life experiences, which are just going to give it that little twist that I sometimes think readers do appreciate. And then I think the more readers try diverse writers, they discover that, you know, they can enjoy that different perspective while also seeing like, it's not that different because I think that's what some of the resistance was from some publishers early on is that, that straight readers would think, oh, well, if it's a gay character written by a gay author, I'm not going to be able to relate. And I was actually recently told that by someone that, you know, I should have maybe some more straight male characters in there to give the straight male readers someone to relate to. But I do think readers are learning because, you know, reading in some ways is an empathetic exercise um, that, you know, you can relate to people who aren't like you. And that can be kind of exciting and part of the just joy of reading. So I, I do think it's opening up and that people are are really embracing that a lot more. Hmm. Well, and just make the killer straight. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I'm not any judgments on you all, whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own homes. Wanting it in my face or anything. Yeah, don't give me any of that straight stuff. Wow. So, um, at the end of the day, um, what is it you want your readers to get out of your books? Um, when it's all said and done, I just want them to be entertained. I mean, you know, it's not that I don't want them also, you know, maybe to make them think. Um, and things like that. But ultimately, I want my stories to be entertainments. Um, because, I mean, even if you have a deeper meaning in your story, if you're not entertaining first and foremost, you're not going to get that across anyway. So I want them, because like I said before, I have so much fun writing these stories. I want that to translate, and I want the readers to just have fun reading them. Now, you've also written a good deal of uh, short fiction. Do you uh, find that you're, you find yourself a natural short story writer or more of a natural novelist? Do you uh, prefer doing one over the other? I, I always say that short stories are my, my passion and my first love. Um, hmm. I feel like I have a more just natural understanding of the short story and the pacing. Um, but I feel like I've gotten more into novels as I've gotten older and learned to enjoy those more. But um, short stories will always be my first love. And I will, I always go back, even in the middle of the novel I'm writing now, I might take a day or two off to do a couple of short stories that are just sort of needling me. Um, so I definitely, I love short fiction. I will always be writing short fiction. Um, and as much as I love novels, novellas, if asked my absolute favorite thing to write, it is short, short fiction. Hmm. That's, that's, it's kind of interesting. Do you, um, do you ever look back at your first work and think you want to rewrite it? Um, not really. I do look back at some of my early work and, you know, I might cringe a little, but um, <laughs> what I always ask myself when I look at it is, is this the best I could do at the time? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I'm happy. I might could do better now, but was I doing my best work at the time? Now, I will say there is some stuff from like high school that, you know, there has been a couple of stories where I love the ideas so much, but I just didn't have the skill at the time to really do them justice that I have gone back and, written i wouldn't even say rewritten them i just started from scratch and just wrote the idea with you know what i hope is greater skill now um but for the most part especially with my published work when i look back at my first books like yeah i i could do it better now but i'm still proud because i delivered it to the best of my ability at the time if that makes sense yeah of course yeah it's it's the pro it's a process each time you write a book you feel you've accomplished something right you kind of move forward yeah and um it's kind of the it's just like when as a reader i know there's some writers i love who aren't they're almost ashamed of their early books and like i'll tell them like oh i'm trying to get a copy of your first book and they're like well i mean i it's not up to my standards now but I'm interested in it because I'm interested in the journey of a writer. I like to see how they developed. And often I find that even if their first novel is a little raw or unpolished, I can still see what I love about them in it. And so I sort of approach my own writing that way. I'm like, this is just the journey that I've been on. Hopefully, you know, always with the upward <laughs> getting better. Um, but even in myself, I like to see that journey. Hmm. Is there anybody out there you'd like to work with? Um, I do, I, I've collaborated with a few writers and I really enjoy the process. Um, and I actually feel like I always walk away from a collaboration, a better writer from what I've learned from them. I've worked with uh, James Newman and Aaron Drive and um, Benjamin Kane Etheridge and a Canadian writer named Shane Nelson. Um, but I mean, there's almost no writer I wouldn't want to work with because 
I love Ryder so much. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to anybody. <laughs> well, you're easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Who, uh, who do you, well, who, who influences you in the, in the world of horror? Well, um, early on and early on, like Rod Serling, like the Twilight Zone was really my first and in some ways still my biggest influence as a writer. Um, I watched those shows when I was a kid and it sort of informed my idea of horror that that surreal, you know, it's our own world, but things are just slightly off kilter kind of take. So I still feel like I write a lot of stories in that vein. And then like almost every other horror writer, I discovered Stephen King in my teens. And he really brought that idea of like taking horror out of like the Gothic castle and just putting it down the street, um, which, you know, has really helped with that shift of horror and also just his characterization. Um, he so he was a very big influence. Um, but then Clive Barker came along and he just showed me that anything is possible. Like you can just be as imaginative as you want. That influenced me uh, quite a bit as well. And I will say Anne Rice has influenced me. My style is nothing like hers. But what I admire about Anne Rice is she writes just whatever the hell she wants. And I love that about her. She just, you know... Whatever she's interested in, she's going to put that on the page. And I, that's been a big influence on me as well. Going back to um, working with other writers, what, what is that process like? Well, you know, it's actually varied depending on what, what writer it is. Um, probably most often it's just a, a brainstorming session, which actually I really love when I'm just talking with another writer and we're just sort of riffing off each other and like he'll have an idea and then I'll have an idea about his idea that sort of <laughs> tweaks in and then he'll have it. And I love that whole process. And then once we start writing, it is typically like, you know, he'll write a chapter, I'll write a chapter back and forth. Um, although I have written before with, um, with a writer where I would, I would sort of write basically like, you know, a couple of chapters, send them off and then he would rewrite them and plan in new ideas. And then I would write the next few chapters that sometimes would sort of go off on the new ideas he put in. So it was basically like I did almost the entire first draft with him rewriting it. And then when I worked with Benjamin Kane Etheridge, I had an, idea that I had started and then got to a point where I had no idea what happened next. So I just sent that to him. And in that one, we did not brainstorm at all. He just took it, read what I had, wrote a section and sent it to me without discussing it. I read his section and just wrote another section without discussing it. That was probably the, um, the one that was the most different, but the process will vary with different writers. Um, and I like that. I, I don't, look to write with writers because we have similar tones or similar processes. Um, I like working with other writers because we might have different tones or processes and it just becomes its own thing, which I think helps it feel less like two writers trying to mesh together and just getting this sort of singular third voice out there. You have to be with them in the same room. Like you have to have um, that type of relationship where you, you sit down together or can you do it from a distance? I've never been in the same room. The one um, James Newman lives, you know, probably in like an hour from me and we've gotten together plenty of times, but we never got together when we were writing our werewolf novel together. And then when I was writing um, my novel with Aaron Dries, he's in Australia I'm in South Carolina. Um, and sometimes when we needed to talk about things, we'd have to negotiate that time uh, difference between us. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, it's always been a long distance thing, but in the age of the internet, 
you know, you really can, like, I can just, you know, at any moment, like, you know, send a text to one of them and they can get right back to me. So there is, there can still be an immediacy, even though we're so far apart sometimes. Hmm. So when you, when you work with someone, you said you'll do anybody, um, it's like me, I'll do anybody. (laughs) Uh, But when you, when you're working with um, someone, what, what makes you choose the person you want to write with? Um, Usually it's the approach. Uh, Cause like I said, I always approach writing from a very joyous, like let's just have a good time uh, approach. And the people I've worked with have that too. It might be harder for me to work with someone who, cause there are writers out there who sort of see writing almost as a chore and They'll say that line, they like to have written, but they don't like writing. And um, that's so different for me um, because I'm just having the time of my life when I'm writing. So, you know, I I would be willing to try it with someone like that, but I think that would be a, a harder fit. And the ones I have worked with so far also have that just joyous, let's just have a good time with this um, approach to it. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. So where to next? What are you doing when you wake up before he wakes after that's been number one and, you, and you're doing all the big shows and stuff like that? Wh- where do you go now? Wh- what are you going to write next? Well, I'll have to, you know, once my head has gone, come back to normal size from all the swelling, <laughs> the huge success I know I'm, I'm going to have, um, I'm going to finish up this novel that I'm writing now. Um, it's called Lucid. And it's, um, like I said, it's a little more fantastical than anything I've written before. Um, I already have a publisher who wants to look at that when I'm done with it. And I'm hoping um, nothing's been signed yet, but I have an older novel that's out of print called The Exchange Student that may be coming back into print with a new publisher. And if it does, when I finish Lucid, I plan to write the sequel to that novel, which has sort of been rattling around in my head for the last uh, couple of years. And, um, and lots and lots and lots of short stories. You know, it's interesting. You, you pick small publishers and stuff. And this is the world of kind of self-publishing as well. Like, why, why go through publisher and not self-publish? Is there, is there a particular reason for that? Um. I like this. I like working with the press one because I'm going to get um, what I think is some valuable, you know, editing. I know you can hire, you know, freelance editors too, but, um, and I'm going to have help with the promotion aspect of it, um, which in some ways is the hardest part <laughs> is um, mm. getting the word out. So I, I like having that um, framework from a publisher I have self-published some stuff. Um, I've self-published some earlier novels or earlier books of mine that went out of print. Um, I published an, a novella collection called Deviations from the Norm um, because I was very proud of it, but I was having trouble finding a publisher and not because any of them questioned the quality, but for various different, because you know there are a million reasons you might not get published and only one of those reasons might, might be quality. Um, but I still really believed in it. So I did, you know, hire an editor, hire a cover artist and self-publish that one. So I'm not opposed to that. But I do like having, you know, a publisher behind me to help me make it the best it can be and also help me get that word out once the book is, you know, out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. So where do people um, find you? Do you have a website? Um... Um, I do have a blog, which I update semi-regularly. And um, I actually also, on my blog, interview a lot of other authors because I like to do that. Uh, but that's markgunnels.livejournal.com. Um, I'm very active on Facebook, Mark Allen Gunnels, and Twitter um, at Mark A. Gunnels. Uh, I have an Instagram, Make Reading Cool Again, where all I do is post pictures of books. Um, So social media is where you can find me 
mostly I have my own author page on Amazon. And like I said, my, my blog, I talk about writing a lot. I talk about my work, but I also love to highlight other authors on there. Yeah. 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 You really like interacting with other authors then if you, if you do some interviews too, eh? Yeah. I I'm fascinated by listening to other authors talk about their work and their process. Um, and like I said, it doesn't have to be my process. doesn't have to be my approach. I just love hearing how other writers approach it because I, I'm, in fact, like, I, I sit around and watch author interviews on YouTube all the time, too. Even writers I'm not particularly a fan of because I'm just interested in writers just across the board. Hmm. Wow. You, you've done it all. You're, you've, you know, it, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I'm very accomplished, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you know, what, we, we've learned a lot today. What have, what have we learned? We learned... Uh, my God. Um, We've learned from player. Yeah. And you'll do anybody. And, <laughs> and we need yeah, a, a people. Yeah. And, uh, oh, we didn't get your grinder uh, uh, name. <laughs> well, keep that secret for now. People have to tune in the next time for something. How do you, so what do you do when you, people give reviews? Do, do you really follow that or do you care about that? I do read my reviews because I, I value reader feedback, um, but I don't get particularly, like, if you know, the last book I had out to be got really good reviews across the board, which was nice. Um, the novel before that, 324 Abercorn, it was a little more polarizing. I got some really good reviews and I got some really bad reviews, but... I was still proud of the book, so it made the bad reviews, you know, it kind of rolled off my back a little bit. So I do like to read them, and um, sometimes a thoughtful negative review can, like, make me think, okay, so this maybe that is something I want to work on. But, you know, if sometimes, like with the Abercorn book, the good reviews and the bad reviews usually cited the exact same things for why they either liked it or didn't like it. So that makes it a little easier because it is so subjective. It's just about what do people like. And I'm writing what I like. So if I'm proud of it, you know, the bad reviews aren't too bad. So so when you say polarizing, so was it that, was it the subject that caused the bad reviews and the good reviews and the polarization or was it the actual writing or what, what was it? I think it was my approach to, um, because it was sort of a take on a haunted house novel and, when it comes to haunted house stories, I have a particular interest in um, ones with a very slow build, uh, ones where things are more atmospheric and less like, you know, everything's being thrown around and people are flying through the room. Um, but then other people like the more graphic and intense horror. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, what you want out of that kind of story and that story when I wrote it did there was a love story aspect that sort of took center stage for a while not because I really planned it but it just developed and um, some readers really liked that being a part of the story some readers really did not <laughs> so, um, so again it just depends on what people want out of a story and you know if I didn't give them what they personally want that's valid but I gave myself what I wanted out of the story, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, because it is about you, right? <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. Well, it's been it's been a real pleasure. It's always good to talk to you, fun, and uh, and uh, yeah. we'll see you next time you come out with another book. So we'll book you for a month. I appreciate you very much. <laughs> now our guest is Mark Allen Gunnels, and his new book is called Before He Wakes. Get out there and buy that now. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you. I had a good time. Thanks, Mark. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed.
The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.